How's it going, my guys? Um, another episode of Big Stick Energy. My name's Tori, but y'all know the drill. Um, today's episode, we are interviewing Hannah Fleming. Um, she has an interesting background because she came into the ski industry working at a corporate level from a background that was quite simplistic. I feel like a lot of people that end up working in the ski industry more often than not kind of like grew up in the depths of it. Like I grew up, um, coincidentally enough, my dad's an atomic rep. So like I grew up going to Warren Miller ski movie releases with him. And like, I've worked at like trade shows with him and done demo days. And it was just like really ground, uh, like I was really like ground into the culture, um, throughout my entire life. So it's no surprise that I work in it now, but Hannah grew up kind of on the outside of that and then coming into it, she kind of had a, a different perspective. So she uh, actually works for Amir Sports and she works for uh, Atomic right now in marketing. So we talked a little bit about that, kind of like corporate structure, um, uh, the huge role that mentorship has had for her getting into um, that position and especially in like a male dominated field and a male dominated space. And she has some really good tips for people that want to kind of penetrate the industry and move up the ladder a little bit to try and work there more. Um, we also talked about her uh, personal goals around uh, gravel racing. She's got a really interesting kind of approach to sports and it was a pleasure talking to her today. So well-rounded conversation, um, really cool chick. I hope you guys really enjoy the episode. Uh, before we get into it, we just have to run through a couple ads because, you know, skills to pay the bills. And yeah, we will see you guys in a couple weeks. All right, it's time for Out of Bounds Sport Nutrition Tip of the Week, sponsored by the Real Food Energy Gel made for the mountains that doesn't taste like butt, aka Mirror Energy. Tip number four, athletes don't place enough focus on getting enough fats. I'm a 90s baby, so I grew up with a mother who worshipped the Canadian Food Guide. At the time, it preached low-fat diets because all fats were bad, air quotation marks. Um, my mom was a hardcore triathlete. Uh, she's competed, uh, sorry, she's completed 20-plus Ironmans and made it to world championships a handful of times, first woman in her age group. The, the, the woman is gnarly, but we drank skim milk, we had low-fat cheese, and we avoided any and all fats possible. As I got older and the science caught up, we realized how important healthy fats are uh, in an athlete's diet. So why do we need them? Fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, require fat to bind in order for you to actually absorb them. In the winter months, fat plays a critical role in body temperature regulation, uh, which is super important for us winter peeps. Fat also plays an important role in balancing and maintaining hormone production. Um, it also helps with testosterone production. Too little and production may decline. And certain fats like fish, plant oils, avocado, nuts, and butters manage inflammation, allowing for improved recovery from training. If you're bonking and you need to pick me up on a mission, Mirror Energy Cashew Vanilla Gel is full of healthy, balanced dose of fats and has plenty of carbs to keep you from bonking on the skin track. So use discount code OUTOFBOUNDS for 15% off. Tell them Blueberry Bergmont is your favorite color in order for you, uh, sorry, in your order note. There you go. Words are important. And they promise to throw in a little something special. Um, you can head to Mirror's website and they'll hook you up with that. Thank you to Deuter for sponsoring today's episode. My first exposure to this brand was a backpack that my dad had growing up, and it was a hiking pack, and I did the classic Boro, but you couldn't really call it a Boro because my dad never saw the pack again until he went out and bought himself a new pack. <laughs> Um, and so I took it because it was so comfy. I loved it. It 
was just like nice and airy on the back and didn't get as sweaty, but it just sat really nice on the hips. So I loved that pack. Now for skiing, I am rocking the 28 liter Freerider SL. So that's the women's specific pack. I'm finding it pretty comfortable and um, low profile when you're riding just like around the resort. It can like pack down quite low profile, which is really nice, but it also fits in all your Abbey gear and everything that you need for a quick day out. So Deuter packs, you can look them up online. They're really great quality. I can attest to that darn tough Vermont. They make merino wool socks. These socks are lightweight. They wick better than cotton and they really have socks for every activity. They've got your winter skiing snowboarding socks as well as your summer activity socks. So lately I have been wearing the no-show merino sock for both trail running and a little bit hiking as well. Sometimes with hiking I prefer the mid-height just because you're going through kind of like the brush sock but darn tough has both i've tried both they're really awesome they have kept my feet dry wicking away the moisture on some really hot days lately so darn tough vermont go check out their website they call them darn tough because they are tough go and grab yourself a pair and keep your feet happy and blister free and dry Hannah, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Kind of tell everybody like who you are, what you do. Yeah. Weird well, fact. Weird fact. Ooh. Um, I'm Hannah Fleming. I work in digital marketing for Atomic in North America. I'm a skier, runner, biker, dog mom, crazy dog mom, um, an all-around outdoor enthusiast. And a weird fact about me. It's a tough one. I broke my head open once. That's kind of a weird fact. Stapled shut. There we go. Okay, we need we need some more details on that one. How did how I did was I was three and I was uh, climbing up a, a bunk bed and somebody thought it would be funny to un un uh, or take my hands off of the bunk bed. So then I fell down onto a metal chair and boom. Head cracked open, blood squirting everywhere. Classic. Yeah. Classic a lot. Bunk bed debacle. Yep. I remember. Classic, right? Like you fall off and there we go. That's fair. Was was it just like a – sorry, this is like details, but I'm curious. Was it like just like a skin split or like did you damage your – Yeah, just a skin split. But it's on the back of my head and I don't grow hair there. Really? Really putting this out there on the internet, but Yeah. There you go. I mean, I've definitely said weirder shit on here, so you're totally (laughs) fine. Um, I actually like Renee. I don't even remember what yours was. You've definitely had like a childhood fall. My fall was like I have a scar on my chin, but I fell eight feet from like a portable classroom railing to concrete and landed on my face. And I got 12 stitches in my chin and I broke most of my teeth and both sides of my jaw. Wow. Grade one. like that's way more hardcore than mine that's that's intense it yep but my teeth came in straight because they had to like pull or cat most of them because all my baby teeth were broken so that's nice there you go no braces no braces (laughs) no (laughs) braces just a lot of other orthodontist work that probably chalked up to the same expense but it's fine (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. I did discoed my jaw when I was a kid. And that's, that, I think that's like the biggest one I did when I was a kid is dislocating my jaw. What does that feel like? Um, Honestly, like I didn't even find out till too much after because we were camping. And I just like assumed that that's when it happened. I just started getting headaches every day when I got a little bit older than that. And I got this like full head scan. And they were like, oh, yeah, like your jaw is completely remodeled on the one side. You probably dislocated it. Like it looks like it's been dislocated in the past. And I was like, oh, I like know exactly like when it was. Wow. Because I rem- remembered the jaw injury that I had, but I didn't really do anything about it. And it just kind of like slowly got better. But yeah, I had to then I had to wear splint in my mouth for a couple couple of years, I think it was. That's wild. I like yeah. When I broke my jaw, they um, they didn't actually catch the break until two weeks after the accident. And they were doing like heaps of x-rays and stuff. And I don't know why the children's hospital didn't think to like check if my jaw was broken. But my mom got a call like at like 4 p.m. <laughs> a random day. They're like, you need to bring your doctor in right now. Both sides of her jaw are broken. She was like, what the fuck? But like I couldn't even open it. It was just like, I don't know how they missed that. But anyways, um, we derailed on your fun fact about you splitting open your head, but yeah. <laughs> let's get I do. Back into things. I have one more question before we move on, and that is that you're a dog mom, and you sounded very passionate about this, so I need to know, what kind of dog do you have, and what is your dog's name? Absolutely. Um, she is a Aussie Border Collie Blue Healer mix, and her name is Stella. She was actually named after the... QST 106 Stella Solomonski. Respect. Maybe also, that should have been my fun fact. Maybe. <laughs> Is that your favorite ski? Why'd you name her Stella? At the time, it was my favorite ski, yeah. What's your new favorite ski? Now it's the Bent 110. Hells yeah. I just got that, actually. I'm super stoked. I haven't mounted it yet, but I can't wait to try it. Um, okay, I also think that something new that I want to implement on the show, we're called Big Stick Energy. So how big are your skis or like what's your quiver? <laughs> um, my bet 110s are 172s and I'm 5'2", so they're a little big for me. But um, That's Big Stick Energy. But yeah, as far as how big my my quiver is, uh, they're all around around that height. I have some like 164s, just depends. Does depend. Yep. The the shape of the ski, camber, all that jazz. I like, you know, I have a pair of the bent 100s right now and um, I have them in a 172. And I have to say, like, I'm usually like 175. I have the Vantage um, in a 175 and I, the one Vantage 107 in a 175. And it's just like a lot of ski that it's like if I don't want to turn and I just want to go straight and fast, yeah. like it doesn't have a speed limit. I have to say that like after working with Alpine Canada, I really appreciate a shorter ski that I can turn on a dime. <laughs> I'm a turn girl. And sometimes big sticks don't really work with that. And that's okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally depends on what you want. This was a step up year for me. I previously skied a little bit shorter than I am right now and totally like turning through trees and stuff. Um, but I really like my 172s. Nice into it. How long have you been skiing? I've been skiing since I was four. So I grew up skiing in Michigan on a little 200 foot, might be 300 foot hill. Um, We'd ski a few days a week, but um, not quite as big as out west. That's for sure. 
Yeah, we got a we got big mountains out here. Not a lot of snow and a lot of rocks this year. I can tell you I chewed up those bent 100s, unfortunately, last week. So that's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, so you grew up skiing, but you just started working in the ski industry recently? Or like, what's your kind of like background within the industry? Yeah, so I grew up skiing. Um, it's like a, you know, a hobby to do in the winter in Michigan. Otherwise, I played more traditional sports. And growing up, I always knew I wanted to work in the in the outdoor industry, or do something to that involved um, being active and kind of supporting an active lifestyle. I didn't necessarily know that that was going to be skiing. It was just kind of always a side passion. Like I didn't work at a shop or anything like that. It was just something we did as a family. Um, and at school, I, I went to Michigan State in Michigan and went to school for marketing and health promotion. And then after school, I, I was able to get a job after about two years at at Amherst Sports in the outdoor industry in a digital marketing role. Um, and the rest is kind of history from there. So I started working on, on footwear products and ski products um, pretty soon after school. Okay, sweet. So still sporty, but then like kind of like a different um, upbringing or like relation to the the ski industry. Cause I know that like, I'm like born and bred. Renee's actually, um, started out with hockey and then got into skiing later in life. And then she like progressed super fast. Um, but yeah, how has like, how is coming into the ski industry, like from like a consumer perspective, that's a little bit more recreational to like working on that corporate side of things, for a brand that's an industry leader, like what is the the perspective there? Like what things did you notice? Yeah, I think it really brings a, a really interesting perspective or I, um, I would hope it does to you, you nailed it, right. To bring like that pure consumer perspective, like growing up buying skis at ski swaps, right. And, and not necessarily getting a new pair of skis every year. Like could be a pretty long time your skis could be pretty short on you before you get a new pair of skis so I think it's just like having that that true and consumer in mind um and able to maybe like speak up a little bit more for them but on the flip side I mean I I came in totally with like my eyes wide open and just wanting to soak in all of this knowledge from people who have been in the industry for so long um and I've been really lucky to be surrounded by those people and uh, learn from them. So I think that it's been a really interesting time. There's been a lot of progression over the past just six years that I've been in the industry, um, where there's a lot of like acceptance of those new ideas and kind of m almost like mold, uh, melding the two together. So like having more and more people with that fresh perspective, um, kind of combining that with a more traditional perspective. For sure. How would you define like a traditional perspective and like fresh perspective, like elevator pitch? Oh, um, I'd say traditional was like, I guess traditional wholesale is like automatically what comes to mind, right? And then we're moving to this more digital world. So you have to think about like not just offline touch points and like consumer events and really like everything being offline and in a brick and mortar store, but bringing that to online. And then how do we meet the two in the middle? 
So like from a marketing perspective, we absolutely want to still support all of our wholesale partners and we just kind of have to do so in that new, not, it's not necessarily fresh, I guess, but in the digital era. So like, especially in my role in digital marketing, it just, it, it's like front and center all the time, right? Is combining what feels like the very old, like traditional wholesale business and the online business. Yeah, a hundred percent. I guess like also with going digital and like moving forward from things like if I think about like traditional ski worlds, it's like old white boys club. So diversity, DEI, inclusivity, representation, all those kinds of things weren't really at the forefront. And then combining that with moving into the digital space where everything you do is amplified, you reach a broader audience, the way that you communicate is even more important. Like um, how are those things that you've noticed as well as you guys like kind of shift? Like it's like marketing is like multifaceted. So you have like the, the product and supply chain side of things, but then also the like brand image and like the, um, I guess like communications aspect too. So like, would you say that's also kind of a twofold? Like there's waves happening. Oh yeah. That side of things? Yeah, totally. And I mean, we all saw this massive shift that happened during the pandemic, right? Where a lot of these social justice issues were were front and center. And so it forced a lot of brands, especially in the outdoor industry, to take a hard look at, you know, what we're doing and um, what we're communicating. So there, there's definitely been some changes and just, you know, not only like actual training for, for employees um, on on all things DEI, like actual training that's happening, but um, making sure that we're communicating more about it and the importance of it um, in, in our messaging and then also internally, right? So it's like when you're working on a campaign or working on a photo shoot, like you better believe those conversations are happening to make sure that we are um, representing more than just, as you said, the, the traditional old white guy, right? So those conversations are definitely happening. And I wonder too, cause I'm not a marketing person. I work in healthcare, but when you have the internet, you can reach such a more diverse population than you can when you're looking at strictly people who walk into a ski store. So how, I guess, I don't know how you change your marketing to like reach that and I don't know if I need to know the answer because that's so far beyond me but I guess like from my perspective I feel like that's such a huge opportunity for diversity too is like really focusing in on that digital aspect because the reach to new populations is that much easier yeah exactly I mean you nailed it it's it's right at our fingertips and it's just a matter of taking advantage of it Um, but also doing it in in an authentic way is really important too. Like we don't want to, you never want to flip a switch overnight and you know, the brand look completely different, like no matter what brand it is. Right. So it's really important to, to make thoughtful changes to like who you are as a brand around inclusivity and then kind of stick to those changes. It can't just be like a, a one-time marketing campaign either. Um, So that's something that, is a part of a lot of conversation as as well that I've been a part of is like, how is this, is this authentic to us? If we're going to do this, what direction do we actually want to go in? Um, And then of course, yeah, like how can we 
target differently and all of those things online. For sure. Yeah. I feel like, um, I mean, with any businesses that I've consulted or even like, um, I have a degree in marketing as well, but when it comes to like any DEI initiative, it's like kind of the three A's, which is the three A's are what you would also do in a PR crisis, but it's like actionable, authentic, and, um, accountable. Those are like the biggest things. Cause like a lot of, especially on the internet, like if you are just projecting something that's like performative, it's like woke washing, the internet's going to sniff it out and chew you a new butthole. Like that's what happens. So it's like authenticity and like actionability and making sure that you're not just doing it for like reach or like getting some good metrics. It's like, you want to like improve your brand kind of, um, like perception and like, health and all that kind of stuff and make it look like more of a progressive brand. If that's the only reason that you're doing it, it's not going to go well and it's actually going to have the opposite effect. So (laughs) making sure that it's woven in and that it's sustainable and you can manage it. Um, Good example is like the, the BLM movement businesses just posting a black square, but it's like, they don't actually have any uh, like a diverse staff or like they, they don't have any actionable aspect of supporting that community rather than just, performatively posting something on social media because everybody else is doing it. Yeah. Yep. 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 I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just nodding my head over here, which I know won't be seen, but yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. Renee, you took your microphone off. What were you going to say? Yeah, I guess I was going to say that that the authenticity bit is something that we chat about all the time. So I love that you brought that up. Um, I know that Atomic does have things that they're working on and it's really awesome also to hear that it's something that comes up frequently and it's something that is being really thought out and like lots of intention put into it because that's the biggest thing is when you're putting all these minds together it can't be like a quick um, like Tori calls it like a slap chop (laughs) like it it has if it's going to be genuine and if it's going to be authentic it needs to be something that is like really thought through. Right. So. Yeah. And um, like, I guess just an example of, of how in, in my current role, we were striving to be more inclusive and, um, and how we've really made steps here is with our online ambassadors. um, We, we have 50% male female split. And then we also have, have diversity as well and it's not um we we intentionally want to have the the male female split um just to make sure that it's not just super male dominated and i think that that's really cool for for the ski industry to even have that 50 50 split um and it's just something that's really conscious for us that we're that we're always thinking about and there's certainly room right there's always room for improvement but um we are really proud of that And in your role, does being, would you say that being a woman in this male dominated industry really pushes you to advocate for those things more? Or how does that affect what you bring into the team? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's really changed as I've grown up as well. um, Or like as I've kind of gotten older in, in the industry, where I was maybe a little bit more afraid at first to, to speak up. Um, but what's cool is as more and more women have started to speak up, I've started to as well. And, and really become more confident in that voice of, of making sure that we're calling out, Hey guys, like 
there's not a woman in this photo shoot. We need to make sure, you know, that we have representation here. So absolutely. And I think it's, it's my responsibility too, as well. Right. Um, and I'm also really lucky that, um, I've, I've had a lot of women, um, on the, on the teams with me and currently on, on the atomic team, there are a lot of women. So I think that also helps as well. Um, it's cool to see how it's changed from when I, when I first started where maybe I'd walk into a room, you know, especially when I was working on the ski side and I'd be the only woman that's not, that's not the case anymore. Um, so it, it's actually been like the total opposite. I've been in rooms where there's been one male and how cool is that? That like just in the few years that I've been a part of the industry, that shift has already taken place. Yeah, that's huge. I can tell you that um, like I've been out of ski shops for a while, but working in ski shops, my experience is that I'm usually the only girl in hard goods or that I have had to literally fight to be put in hard goods because like the perspective was, well, girls don't sell skis. Like you need to work in clothing. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I can sell yeah. skis better than every single guy in here. And I've been doing this since I was like four years old. So <laughs> you can just like you can go away. Like when I work sample sales with my dad, I literally have guys leaving with three pairs of skis. That's my shit. Just because I'm a chick yeah. doesn't mean I don't know my stuff. Um, exactly. One of my favorite things to do, it's okay. Our, our last guest also had dogs. This is like a theme, but we're dog people. So it's fine. Um, one of my favorite things to do today is if I go into a ski shop and I see there's no girls working in hard goods, I love to ask if there's any girls working in hard goods or if there's a female that I could speak to. And I love to watch them squirm. I love that. I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like walking to like a bike shop too, right? There, there's certain industries where these changes are happening slowly. They are. Yeah. Um, Okay. I also have a question about gender quickly. And it sparked like from this conversation, what is your perspective on gendering skis? Ooh, I hit a point there. That's a tough <laughs> one. Um, I think that we can absolutely, well, I don't want to say absolutely, but I definitely think that there's a lot of room for unisex skis as long as they cover the full range of sizes so I think that's the most important thing is like right now there's there's some unisex skis or like you know men's skis that might be unisex that we don't have the full size run and I think no matter what like that's the most important thing whether it's a male or a female skiing a smaller ski or a male or a female skiing a bigger ski like it doesn't matter we just need to have the size run for everybody to truly be inclusive. And I think having like different top sheet options um, as well so that people can pick and choose what they want um, based on that size run. Cause there's plenty of times when the stereotypic, stereotypical, you know, gendered color might not be for the person that that ski is intended for, right? Or whatever it may be. So I think that we just need to offer, we need to make sure we have an offering for everybody um, but I totally think that unisex skis. Yeah. Happen. I mean, it honestly comes down to size. Like I have never purposefully bought a woman's ski in my life because they don't usually have them one grunty enough for me for what I like. Cause I know that there's a lot of like 
shrink it, pink it, and sometimes dumb down the materials or put less in it. And it's like the perspective that women are lighter, they might not ski as aggressively, but then it's also really limiting to have like a, a shorter size range. And it kind of like, I don't know, from my perspective, like another thing I love to do when I walk into a ski shop is see what the guy recommends me without asking me any questions. If he wants to put me on like a full of it from K2, I'm leaving. Like I don't like that ski and I don't like it when he makes assumptions about the way that I ski because of the way that I look. And it's like, that's not the way to approach creating skis, I think. And also when we have like explicit gender binary for stuff, you leave out an entire population of people that might not identify with male or female. And there's a lot of like color choices and there's a lot of top graphics that don't have to connotatively communicate or articulate a specific gender within the binary. So I feel like there's certain things like boots with calf position and like uh, anatomy. There's aspects there where the design is important. And then also like with like the distribution of materials and like side cut and everything with skis, but that can all be differentiated within size runs of a same ski, but gendering them. I think skis don't care about your gender. They just want to go downhill. Yeah, totally. So, yep. I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. I feel like, like we had, um, we actually had Matt. Is it Matt? Is that right, Renee? Yeah. 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 Answer. Yeah, Matt Manser. We had him on the show to talk about the like the history of like boot design and like his background's really interesting because he has a you know a degree in philosophy. So it's a completely different approach to to designing boots, but understanding like, you know, why there hasn't been a 130 recreational boot for women yet. And it's like, well, they won't buy it. And it's like, well, we did a survey on our <laughs> like we made a meme about that. And it was like one of the biggest reshared memes we've ever had because chicks want gear that helps them progress. And I feel like female skiing and female sports in general right now are at a historic level where they are pushing boundaries like beyond what was expected or like yeah. the, the the glass ceiling, I guess, like they're pushing through it um, with progression, which means we need the right gear to show up. It's like, you know, we kind of have to keep having the development. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. And we have ha- heard word from other companies that they're coming out with like a full stiffer boot range. I think it was actually going to be launched this season, like K2 and some other brands are doing that. Um, And then also like some brands are looking at removing gender from their skis completely, which I think is really cool. So I don't know. We know that Atomic switched onto it and they've had like, they've been like first to market with some things like the 130 boot. So I'm really curious to see what they do kind of as things unfold. Yeah. I, I don't have any inside scoop on that unfortunately but i will say um like sal on the snowboard side solomon came out with a unisex board this year with a unisex graphic and i think it's doing really well like it's a super cool product um and for me that was like that felt like a really big deal when that came out so i definitely Mm -hmm. think more and more brands are going to start taking that approach for sure i wish i could talk shop about snowboarding i i'm good with snowboard boots but snowboards themselves like i yeah it's, I know size is a thing, but. Yeah. One thing I was going to say that I've started doing in shops is I used to do like where Tori was saying, you see what, you see what ski they're going to put you on. And I've had people that try and put me onto like a skinny carving ski. And I'm like, no, I told you I do big mountain competitions. Like yeah. you, that's what I'm going to ski on. But lately what I've been doing is I've been going in and looking at their wall 
and asking them questions. If I can get the right person, I've been asking questions about why they bring in certain products so that I can kind of get insight into that because I find that there are gaps with the sizing for some of the women's products where like I've had people who do the ordering in shops say, well, I'm not going to bring it in in this size because it won't sell. Like asking about like a 176 or a 179 length. And they're like, no, we only order skis up to 160 something because that's what we can sell. And they don't order in that 130 boot because they don't see that there's a market for it. So one of the things I've started doing and something that we have in the past encouraged girls to do on the podcast is if you want that 130 boot, go into your local shop and ask for it. Like let them know that you want that product. Like go ask them why they don't carry that ski in a 179 because these products don't get made and they don't get made in quantities that can be like widely dispersed if the shops don't order it and if people don't, don't buy it online and then that's what's going to make the brands market them more like I would think I'm just assuming that last point because I don't do marketing but like it tracks in my thought process <laughs> yeah yeah totally like if I mean that's how change in any right in any product or any industry is just like if if the consumers demand it right that's just basics and yeah if you go into a shop start telling them what they want or what you want, that feedback eventually gets up to the brands and that's how you create change. Yeah, all the girls out there, if you want a certain ski or you want a certain boot, go into your shop and ask them if you can get it. Maybe they can special order it or maybe they'll just realize that people want it and they can order it next year. We should do like a campaign where we get, like if girls do that, they should like send us a note, tell us what shop they went into and what they uh, what they asked for and then we'll send them free stickers. Let's manipulate the industry. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm down. Let's start a collective North American movement at all of our faction locations. <laughs> yep, I'm into it. Um, okay, speaking of something that you mentioned, um, like when we were doing our pre-interview was this concept of mentorship and how it's helped you in the industry. Um, Cause like coming in as a female to a male dominated industry, especially at like a corporate level, like ski shops is one thing because like you just expect it there, but then like at a corporate level as well, like I can tell you, like, I don't know, I'm a, I'm, I was clinically diagnosed as autistic um, this year and somewhere that I have zero social skills or like, ability to like communicate is corporate structure. There's so much nuance. And when you are female in a corporate space, like there's a lot of studies that show um, gender impacts the way that people react to you in business because they expect females to like respond in a certain way. And then coupled with like the outdoor industry and the ski industry, there's just, there's a lot there. So um, yeah. How, how, how has mentorship changed your ability to kind of like come into the industry and like, how has it supported you in doing that? Yeah. Um, again, I feel really lucky with, with when I came in and also the women I was surrounded with when I did come in. Um, actually my, my manager who, who hired me at the time was just this really strong woman. And I was, I was pretty young. I was 23 and really at an age where, you know, building confidence in the corporate world was, was super important. And she, she helped me a ton. 
Um, we had a, just a really good relationship where I was open about like what my goals were and she would kind of help me develop the skills needed to then kind of get to the next level. Um, so I would say that having those mentors is just invaluable. Um, and what is really cool is in the outdoor industry, there are a number of like professional organizations as well that have these mentorship programs. I also went through the Canberra Outdoors mentorship program um, during, it's actually 2021. So it was a really interesting year to do it as well because it was virtual and it was all about DEI because of the DEI movement. So that's just like a quick sidebar, but we had a full year dedicated around education on the topic and how we can make a difference in the industry. So that was a very cool experience. Um, but kind of on the on the non like, I would say, what's the what's the the term here, like, that's a more like professional or organized mentorship relationship. And then it's really important to have those not as like organized relationships, um, as well. So just like women around me, and I, I was surrounded by some really impactful women um, early on that just encouraged me to use my voice more and also put me in the situations that I could make a difference. So making sure that I could present to, you know, our leadership team, even though I was at like a specialist level or an associate level, um, even I think at one point. So like those really impactful moments that then would help me progress in my career. And then once I got to the point where I could kind of flip that and and hopefully mentor, um, you know, other women, I, I tried doing that as much as possible. So I had, you know, a female employee and tried to pass on some of the learnings that I was taught by the by the mentors as well. Do you have any advice for someone if they wanted to apply to Amer Sports? Do you have any advice for someone who wants to go that way with their career? Because like, it's not always a career that we think about right firsthand. When you think of skiing as a career, you think pro skier, you think ski patroller, ski instructor, but sometimes I, I think people forget about working for brands. So like, what would be the entry point for someone that's kind of interested in doing something more involved with sales or, or marketing or something? Yeah, so definitely having, I mean, having experience like in a shop or at a resort, um, like anything in the industry definitely helps. But somebody like me, who I didn't have that experience, what I did have was like internships. And I um, did other like passion projects on the side that were around skiing and the outdoor industry. So anything you can do to show that one, like, you, you really are passionate about the industry and the product, like number one, that's super important. Um, and then two, that you're, you know, you're a hard worker and you, you want to bring in, um, you know, your, some new ideas, but also be really collaborative. Um, I think that's really important too, but being like a, just a hard worker and, and willing to jump right in, that's definitely something that, at Amher, we really value teamwork, but I think, I mean, everywhere that's important as well. But um, having, you know, just some experience in whatever field you're trying to get into. So on the marketing side, I certainly look for people who 
have had a marketing internship. And if you can't necessarily have an internship, there's so many online courses that you can take for free. You can take, you can get Google certificates, all of the different things that are out there that are free. If you can put those on your resume, that's huge as well. See, I didn't even know that Google courses really existed. So yeah, they do like Google Analytics. Um, you can also do like HubSpot certifications, uh, Hootsuite. Um, even like LinkedIn has marketing courses now. There's yeah. like quite a few that you can do, but all of that kind of helps. And then I think um, something that you mentioned before is also like finding mentors that aren't exactly like they don't have to be in um, the business, but you can have like external mentors as well. And the more networking that you do within the ski industry, the more opportunities that you'll have and the more that you can learn about it. That's actually one of the top five skills that every entrepreneur has is networking because it allows you to pull from like multiple different information sources and like really try to pool that knowledge. Um, something I do want to say, the more you work in the ski industry, the less you get to ski. So something to consider. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but even going to uh, like events and things. So if you, you know, if you want to get into the industry, go to events and see what different brands are doing and, you know, follow them on social, just paying attention to those things and learning what the trends are um, is really, really helpful. And I, I feel like when I've talked to people about this, sometimes it is hard to get like a more professional internship. So, so get creative and think about what you can do outside of the box to still get some kind of experience or gain knowledge at least about the industry. Definitely. I also feel like social media is a really like uh, a decent in with a lot of places like smaller kind of up and coming businesses. A lot of the time they do need help with social. I don't think like you, you work in digital marketing and so do I. Normal people don't realize how much time it takes to do social as a job. Even just like putting together the caption and like the post doing all of the tags, posting it across multiple different platforms. Like there's usually a lot of opportunity there to kind of get a bit of headway in helping. Uh, yeah. I guess, different smaller up and coming companies. And there are actually quite a few companies that are trying to penetrate the market right now. And it is a very difficult market to penetrate because there are so many big players like Atomic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a great call out. And um, again, like it's not always the best, but there's a lot of people who want free help with social media. So maybe it is like your, your local ski shop or you know, another outdoor shop that needs help on social. That's a great way to gain experience as well. For sure. Can't pay the bills with exposure, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yup. Um, so I feel like we're kind of like jumping around a little bit, but speaking of like marketing campaigns, you did mention Cheeskies. Um, and I feel like the concept of inclusivity and DEI and that like Atomic was kind of like revamping it a bit. Um, do you think you could tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So Cheeskies is, I mean, pretty, pretty self-explanatory in the title as far as what it's about, but it's all about connecting women across the, across the world um, who, who are skiing really in an online community. So it started primarily around around the hashtag SheSkis. Um, and it's been a, kind of an evergreen campaign for the past few seasons. And if I'm not quite sure when this is going to air, but if you pay attention in the next few weeks, there's going to be some new stuff going out for this season across 
um, Atomic Social around cheese skis. And then, you know, in the future, we're looking to, again, kind of revamp the campaign for next year. I can't share too many details right now, but it is a focus for us. And, and we know how important it is to make sure that there are women specific or female identifying individual specific events and opportunities. We love that. We do love it. But why does Atomic recognize it's important? Like where did the shift come from? I mean, I think we've we've known it for a while. Like the campaign launched years ago. Um, I guess I mean like increased investment, like recognizing it and like really like it's like I I know she skis has been around mm -hmm. for a super long time, like as long as like I can think of interacting with Atomic on social media um, or like back in the early days where I was like, I'm going to try and get my in. I'm using all the hashtags. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, like I remember that was like one of the first ones that I used. But like who's kind of like driving this revamped realization? Like where did this recognition come from that there's importance there? I think that it's from a lot of, you know, what we've, what we've talked about and what you talk about on this podcast, and that is the shift in the industry, right? So we want, we want to be more inclusive. We want to make sure that all of the women who ski on our skis feel like they have, um, that they're connected to the brand, right? And so I think it's been a, like, it's just a realization. And now we, we also have, um, again, like more women in the company who are kind of in, a, in the position now to, to make it happen in a bigger way. We love a good takeover. It's just like, you know, making up the majority that's, that is eventually how change happens. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's probably a little bit of maybe what you were trying to get at too, is like, and we do, we have more women, um, like in our office, well, with the addition of, of me and one other one other person on the marketing team, well, one person in Canada as well. So we have three more women who have joined the marketing team this year alone. So like that that's awesome. And now that we're we have more women behind it, um, we can just make it even bigger. That's really cool, and it's cool that that's growing. Um, but also, like, it's half the segment that you're selling to more or less like if you are to go completely binary women and men it's about roughly half i would think i know it's growing um but like most numbers that i've seen have been like pretty close to 50 50 in terms of who's buying skis so having more women that are selling them it speaks to half of the market like it has to be diverse throughout yeah. And we, I mean, everything that we were saying earlier around DEI, like we just want to make sure that people feel included and the marketing, we you, it has to be reflected in the marketing, right? Like people have to see themselves in, in marketing to be able to relate to a brand, um, you know, across all industries. So it's a, yeah. it's an awesome campaign and I'm just really excited to see where it goes in the next year. Would you say, so I have a question about some of your goals for 2023, but being that you've been working closely with she skis, I guess we could start with like professional goals, but then I also want to know like some of your personal goals, because you did say you're a skier, you're a runner, you're a biker, like you are year round doing sports in your free time. So professional and personal goals for 2023. That's a good question. Um, professional. 
she skis is something I'm really excited about. So definitely working on the, on the campaign. Um, I'm working with, you know, my global counterparts and then the team here. So that's something I'm really excited about. Um, and then also just like continuing to, to grow at Atomic. Um, I've only been at Atomic for a little bit. And so I'm just excited to see what another season brings. This was my first season kind of back with Atomic. So I'm looking forward to preparing for, for next year. Um, and then personally, really excited about some of the, some of the things that I've planned. Um, so on the bike side, I've got some gravel races. I don't know if either of you gravel bike, but that's something exciting planned. I want to, I just can't afford another bike right now. I need a new car really badly. My mountain bike costs more than my car and my car is a certified piece of shit. So <laughs> I like that has priority right now. That's fair. That's definitely fair. It's, it's another, yeah, it's just another bike in the quiver, right? Like it, it ends up being ridiculous. We run, we've run out of room in, you know, in our house. Now our garage is full. We have too many bikes. Yeah. Well, Renee is like stupid bike rich right now. Like she needs to sell a couple because her one bedroom apartment, there's like no room to exist. <laughs> the amount of bikes in there. Nice. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I think you even had like skis behind your T. Yeah. The skis are behind her TV. She's really, you know, MacGyvering how to exist in there. <laughs> you have to get crafty. When I had a one bedroom apartment, mine looked the same. I built like a massive storage shelving unit right in my living room. It was just jam packed. I know. Yeah. We've, uh, I've had to like MacGyver quite a few different gear storage options in our house. And I feel like I'm starting to figure it out, but my boyfriend and I have too much gear for how big our house is. Maybe one day we'll have a garage. I want like a James Bond style gear room, like with pegboards and it's like organized. And I just like want to go in and just like, I just want to sit there and look at how organized it is. Cause it makes me feel good inside. Um, that's like adult dreams. Anyways, that is dreams. Like when you see those on on social, it's like, wow, how do I make that happen? Right? I have a whole Pinterest folder that's gear room. That's like, you know, that's some you're like- You're ready. Uh, you're going to be so ready. You get that gear room, you're just going to go crazy. Oh, 120%. I just need to be able to put some holes in the walls because I can't really do it here. <laughs> so, yeah. so I just realized that I was on mute, but I was like at showing you guys my bikes. I've got my like little, I'm sorry that no one else can see it, but my- commuter road bike my dh bike my enduro bike and then i have to sell those two bikes because i just bought a new mountain bike that is getting built for me in like the next couple weeks so currently i own three and a half bicycles <laughs> so i i got bikes to sell if anyone's listening to a podcast and you want a really sick enduro bike or a dh bike hit me up i'm selling <laughs> i i have like n plus too many right now so i, I gotta downsize the limit does not exist <laughs> yeah but i don't have a gravel bike i i also would love one but the problem is i i would put gravel kind of tires on my road bike but it just does not enough clearance so it is what it is that's what I did before I was able to get a gravel specific bike is I had one bike that I would switch out the the wheel set on. So that's the that's the move. That's the middle zone. I like I need something that isn't my stepmom's uh 
early 2000s road bike that she did her first Ironman on. It still has like padded, like pad brakes. It's not even disc brakes. It's so bad, (laughs) but it works. I mean, I've like biked around the city with my boyfriend and he was like, do you think you can follow me down this? And like, doesn't wait for my reply. And I'm like low key screaming on the way down because my tires, they're so bald, but I, you know, we'll get there. I like just graduated university. We're adulting and soon I will be bike rich, you guys, but it's fine. Um, Okay. Gravel race. Gravel race? Yes. That's one sport. Race. Yeah. We've, we've only covered one sport and then we got kind of sidetracked with biking because we all like to ride bikes, it turns out. Accurate. It's the most fun. Um, and then on the running side, hopefully another kind of cool run. This year I ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. Um, so that was really cool. I want to do something else big like that. And last How sport. How far is that? it's 40 some miles how long does that take that's it takes about i'm just gonna quickly calculate that like 10 hours i don't understand miles (laughs) i know i always struggle with that i don't know what it is in kilometers 64 that is a lot but it's super (laughs) fun and it's beautiful um oh yeah you'd have to do it somewhere that's really nice like that and i guess that's the difference with trail running is that you're not bored the whole time because you're in a forest or in the Grand Canyon. Like, how can you be bored running in the Grand Canyon? It's beautiful. Exactly. And the sec- the secret to trail running is it's actually just a lot of power hiking. And that's what nobody tells you. So that's what, that's the best. You can just enjoy your time. You run when you want. You power hike or hike. And it's all considered trail running. <laughs> Okay, I am so like not a runner. My knees can't handle it. I did get into it at one point where I could get past the 20 minute suffering point and like keep going. And I was so proud of myself. But like running on pavement or just like my ADHD brain doesn't get enough stimulation. But running on a trail, I remember like in Whistler, I went for a trail run with my friend's dog. And it was like just going around the berms and stuff. You're just like, yeah, or like you're stunting. You're like hopping over stuff and like kicking off a wall. And it's just like low key parkour. And then you turn around and like the dog is just like wrapping on the berm. And you're like, this is majestic. I'm having so much fun right now. (laughs) So I've got big love for trail running. (laughs) It's so fun. You feel like a kid. I love, yeah, like you jump off of rocks when you get some energy. It's super fun. It is super fun. And then you throw like a little like heel click in there every oh, once yeah. in a while. You're like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> I've got style. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So gravel biking. Running. Trail running. running. What skiing. Else? Skiing. I just want to ski a lot. That's no, a great goal. No big goals. Just keep skiing. You can't have huge goals for everything. I mean, you already are making me feel like a bit of a couch potato. Stop, I am stop. going to spin class tonight, so. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and so, outside I, like, of. I redline myself the whole, like, it's unreal. I think I almost threw up last night in spin class because I just started going back. And um, yeah, it's very hard. It's always hard after the holidays. Yeah, it is 100% hard after the holidays. Um what was I going to say? Uh, dirt. Hannah skiing a lot. That Hannah skiing a lot. What type related of, to that? <laughs> are you like, okay, so like you're trail running, you're gravel biking. Obviously, there's like a, a drive for the mission there. Like, but yeah. with skiing, is it 100% downhill or are you like interested in touring? Like, where's your kind of, yeah, what are so your parameters? Typically, 
most winters I do about half and half between like backcountry and resort. I think this year it'll be a lot more resort um, than backcountry. We'll see. My my mysterious COVID sickness, whatever it was, kind of put a damper on a lot of the cardio efforts. But um, yeah, it's a good mix of it. And we have a pretty cool uphill community here as well. We have some resorts that allow you to do it before and after hours. So that's a fun thing to do with friends as well. So it's both, but I've definitely, I'm about the, you know, exploring on foot to, to go to cool, beautiful places. For sure. Can you teach my boyfriend how to do that? He like, I'm like, do you want to go on a hike? He's like, no. <laughs> he was like, what's the point of going uphill to look at something? He was like, I'll go uphill if we get to go downhill, but I'm not just going uphill. I'm like, fine. So like my my MSR hubba hubba two lightweight tent hasn't been used in, since I started dating him. Oh, well, just get him some touring skis and Oh, he ski tours. Oh, he but does that. But he needs to be able to go downhill. That's why, like, mountain biking's great. Skiing is great. Hiking, no deal yeah. for that boy. <laughs> That's where you got to start trail running. I was kind of the same. Like, once you start hiking, I, I hiked a lot. And then I was like, well, I could get down faster if I just ran down. And sometimes running down is easier on your knees. Because totally. yeah. you end up just, like, being really light on your feet, taking small steps. Uh, at least I find so, but I have loads of really awesome trails right out my door here and I'm in North Van. So I like literally live at the base of a mountain, which is pretty sweet for trail running, especially because it's just rainy here and it doesn't snow very often. So you can trail run most of the year if you're not scared of rain, which I am kind of. So do you say you're scared of rain? I melt in the rain, dude. <laughs> what do you mean? How can you <laughs> When you're like a fair weather person, my my dad always would make fun of my mom is like a fair weather golfer, fair weather runner. And the say I think the saying is more like you're not made out of sugar, you won't melt in the rain. But that's why I'm saying I do melt in the rain. I don't want to go out there and do stuff in the rain. Hence why I booked spin class so that I don't have to run outside or bike outside in the rain. That's valid. The rain just turns me into like bippity boppity boops me into Lord Farquaad because my hair is just like, but I yeah. don't melt. <laughs> I live in the Pacific Northwest. So half of the year is literally rain. I was going to say that. <laughs> That's a rough place to live when, when you don't like rain. It's not like I, I totally dislike it. Like some, if it's not raining super hard, you can mountain bike and like what makes the trails amazing. Like yeah. the loam here is really, really good. But in the winter when it's raining and dark and you just want snow so that you can go skiing. It does snow at the very top, but in the bottom, you're just stuck in this dark, rainy, like all day today, it's raining. It's not even that bright outside. It's sad. It is sad. <laughs> yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. I actually have a funny story about biking in the rain uh, in Squamish, which is like near where Renee lives. I, oh no, sorry, we were in Whistler, but um, my boyfriend is like, him and his friends are all like really good mountain bikers. And I'm like, I'm scared of bears, not going to lie. Um, and we were like in Whistler. Renee's heard this story before. And it was like pouring rain and we we're going down this path. And there was a big fucking yellow sign that said like aggressive bear in the area. Turn around. And like we're biking in the rain. And I was like, Roger, like I didn't bring my bear spray. Like I don't think we should go up here. He's like, we went up here yesterday. Like it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, I'm trusting you. And so like we're going up this road. And then all of a sudden we see a park ranger 
and this like we've been pedaling for like 45 minutes and she's coming down and she's like hey just so you guys know the aggressive bear is about like 200 meters up from you like by the road eating berries do you guys have bear spray on you and he just like looked at me and I was like and like <laughs> she was like scolding him and I was like you know what I'm gonna bring my bear spray like I don't care I'm gonna be like that grandma out there and yeah. so like we decided to turn around and like we did the first part of like the first downhill that we um that we planned to do and then there's like the second part where we needed to go uphill and when we got to the end of that first downhill um there was like he was like do you want to keep going uphill but there was like this fresh massive bear shit like right in front of us and I was just like no, I don't. I think I want to turn around and go down. And it was pouring rain. And so like in my panic state, when I turned around my bike, I put my entire back wheel through the bear shit. <gasps> yeah. So it was just like covered in it. And then as we're biking downhill in the rain, the water and the mud made me get bear shit all up my back and all in my hair. Like it was all over me. And we got to the... <laughs> <We> <laughs> It was so bad. Like it was on my face. It was like all up my back, like in my hair. And we like got to the truck and I was just walking, like just trying not to get my like let my stuff touch me. It was so bad. And we were camping and I like went to the showers and it's like a shared shower with all the other people that are camping at this place. And there are these two little girls in the shower and they're like, oh, my God, Brittany, like we have the showers for ourselves. We should totally take a long time. And she was like, yeah, let's totally take a long time. And I felt like my mom. I was like, can you not take a long time? There's other people here that need to shower. <laughs> I was standing there stewing and bare shit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's horrendous. They, yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Um, it's hilarious. <laughs> I get I get great enjoyment out of every time the story gets told because I just see the bike tire just like yeah the totally. way that it just like throws stuff up. Yeah, hilarious. Oh, there was bear shit in my derailleur. Like it was like it was fucking everywhere. So yeah, I don't know. And how do you get that out of your helmet? Like I had to like power wash it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the best way. I mean. Good thing that there are showers at the campground, though, because that's, like, pretty rare as well, at least down here. Like, we don't have showers at campgrounds usually. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got, a like, a GoFast pop-up camper yeah. on the back of his Tacoma. It's his baby. It's very cute. He has, like, this whole – he can probably hear me right now. Oh, God. He's got, like, this full photo album of his phone of him just taking photos of his setup in different locations. And it's, like, the exact same photo every time. It's very cute. Um, but we we camped in that for two weeks when we were both working remotely. So we needed some bougie campground, yeah. like, yeah. facilities. The only thing was, like, I thought these girls were really little, but when they came out of the showers, one of them was taller than me, and I was like, oh, are we going to fight? Like, what's going to happen? But no, they let me shower, and it was fine. I just felt very embarrassed that <laughs> I was that naggy older person. <laughs> they were probably like, okay, she's got bear shit all over her. She needs to get in the shower. Well, then I panicked and tried to explain it to them, and I got an eye roll, so... Oh. That was fine, you know? Youth today. What are we doing? Um... <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm out of this shower. I'm covered in bear shit. <laughs> Literally, I'm surprised they couldn't smell it on me. <laughs> it was everywhere. <laughs> I hope no one else has to experience that. I feel like that's a pretty unique situation. It is. Yep. It's a. Uh, yep. I remember when I was a kid and we were camping. Actually, my sister slipped and fell in cow shit. That was hilarious. I definitely laughed and didn't help her right away. Probably got some bad sister points on that front, but I um, guess it's in my family. Uh <laughs> so it was just karma coming back like 15 years later. I think so, yeah. Um, okay, 
one, I have another question about fitness goals quickly, and then I think we got to start wrapping it down, um, unfortunately, but, um, with your fitness goals, you said that like you have the race, like the gravel race coming up. Um, what type of goals do you have specifically within that? Like, how are you training for it? Um, that's a great question. So I've done the race previously. So as far as like goals go it's to be a certain time, um, and training won't start for, for a while, but, um, I'll create a training plan and, kind of modify the one that I followed before and just kind of go to work. <laughs> How long is this race? Um, it is 70 miles. Okay. Again, I'm going I don't to know what that conversion is. Convert that to. I'm not good with math. That makes sense to the rest of the world. Isn't it times by like 1.2 or something like that? 112 kilometers okay that's yeah. a solid ride especially gravel is it like mountainous terrain too yeah like it's actually, going up and down i'm like the spokesperson for this race because i think it's okay. very fun and if you're gonna give me hard. speed then i can't do that one in my head i don't know the conversion <laughs> for oh, okay. it's it's ten thousand feet so i don't know okay. what, what that conversion uh, is but it's really cool because you start well you start um I don't, Over 3,000 meters. That's 3,050 meters. You start Girl, like you're a, crazy. You started like a decent <laughs> elevation. But what's so cool about it is you go all the way down to like the desert. And then you come all the way back up to the Alpine. So you go through like different terrains in southern Utah. So it's very cool. And I would highly recommend it to anybody. But um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's, hard, it's pretty hard though. But I last year, my boyfriend and I did it together. And it was cool because we like stuck together the whole race. So Hopefully we do that again this year. Like I say, like three over 3,000 meters of climbing, it sounds gross to me, but I'm also used to pedaling an enduro bike. So if you're pedaling a gravel bike, that's also way easier to do yeah. for longer distances of time. But really like anything above 100K is like, that's solid. I've it's done definitely- 100K one time on a road bike and it was like just to do it. My roommate and I got it done. And I think it took us like five hours or so. But yeah, so I'm like, that's a long race. How long does it take to do 112K? Well, 70 miles. It, I mean, it depends on the on the verb. But for this race, I think it took like around eight hours last year. And we're hoping to get down to like six and a half. So we're going to yeah, try that's and solid. cut off quite a bit. But what's cool is a lot of the kind of going back to like, I don't know, like the culture around... Um, Utah as well like that's just a part of the culture here for sure is like kind of doing some of these bigger efforts and it it grows on you especially work in the out when you're in the outdoor industry and everybody around you is doing cool shit you're like I guess I need to get on this what can what can I do so um I mean that's addictive when I I started getting into stuff living in Canmore because Canmore Canmore in Canada, like being in that Lake Louise area, specifically Canmore, is a huge concentration of Olympians. So there's just so many fit people when I lived there. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I just went on a run before work. And then the next person is like, yeah, me too. And you've ran 5K and they've ran like 20. And you're like, cool, cool, cool. Like, I feel so good about myself right now. (laughs) Yeah. And like Squamish Whistler can be kind of like that as well. Just like you get these like places that have high amounts of very very strong athletes and like very driven 
people, but I mean, you're doing sports year round. So I imagine that you stay in pretty good shape because all of these things complement each other. Totally. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Sounds like you're a girl that likes to suffer. Is that I a weird thing to say? say? No, I think that's... <laughs> it's only weird if you make it weird. I think it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just made it weird by asking if it was weird. Sometimes I just have to say something and commit, like full confidence, okay? Oh, my God. Like, man. You used the word penetration earlier to describe marketing, and I was like, Gonna hold my tongue. Gonna hold my tongue. <laughs> okay, but Hannah also works in marketing, and penetrating the market is like a that's a, that is a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially when we were talking about targeting and online targeting, yeah. and yeah. see, but here I am making it weird. You know what? I've been trying to use the word edging for like casual things, and everybody's just like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "Okay, edging meant what it literally means before we made it sexual, okay?" And it's relevant to so many different things. <laughs> But it's fine. You know, it's kind of like I feel like Gretchen Wiener. It's like, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's like, I'm going to make edging happen. Okay. <laughs> it's going to play a thing. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. I feel like I made it weird again. I'm so sweaty and red right now. Um, anyways, we're like edging the end of the episode. So I wanted to. <laughs> Congratulations on getting that word in, Tori. <laughs> Okay, we're getting kind of off topic. I feel like this could be a good place to wrap up and like bring it back to where we started. Is there any parting remarks you would like to make? Any places that you want to push people to? Like any plugs you want to make? It's kind of your chance to say whatever you want as we close out the episode. Yeah, I would just say for, I mean... A lot of this was around women in the outdoors. So if there's any any girls or you know women in college who are who are listening to this and want to get into the outdoor industry, definitely. I mean, feel free to to reach out to me on on LinkedIn. Um, but also, just like go for it, go for whatever you want. This is a, a world with a lot of opportunities in it, especially in the outdoor industry right now. So, yeah. Just go for what you want. Just freaking send it. Send it. Send it, my dudes. Okay, sweet. Um, I guess is there anywhere that people can find you or if like you want to find they you want them to find you, social media stuff, like anything like that? Yeah, on social, I'm at Hannah K Fleming. That's where you can find me all, across all platforms. Sick. All right. Um, sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, that thank was fun. you guys. This was great.